Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Book More Show. It's Stuart Bell here, and today I've got the great pleasure of being joined by John Coyne. Uh, John owns Ruta Hero, a plumbing company based out in California and Arizona. And we're going to talk today about the three books he's written. What's really interesting, I love about John, is the passion he brings to the subject, not only for the passion for his own company, but also the industry as a whole and what other plumbers and tradespeople can do to really amplify their business and set up a a company, an organization, a, a business that's going to um, provide for them and their family and also kind of leave that legacy, build something that's really meaningful. Um, the passion that John's got really comes across and the interesting approach they've taken to the three books really covering the three pillars of of who they're trying to engage with and the difference that they're trying to make it's uh it's very much on target with his passion because it's looking outside or beyond or bigger than just the campaign level which we often talk about here so let's get to it hey john welcome to the show how are you doing good thank you Stuart. Well, today we've got John O'Coin with us. He's written uh, a number of books with us. Most recently, the Values First book, which is about uh, the subheading on that is a principle-driven leadership. And then prior to that, there was Creating 99 Millionaires, and then there were ones before that. So rather than me giving a, a brief history, John, do you want to share kind of your backstory with the audience and then kind of talk just uh, briefly about um, about the books you've written and then we can dive into some details after that. Yeah, sure, um, Stuart. I, uh, so I started in the plumbing industry when I was uh, 17 years old. My dad passed away and um, he had a heart attack. I was going to high school at the time and uh, had plans to uh, graduate high school Uh, go to college and be an attorney and his tragic death uh, really uh, changed our lives i i ended up actually dropping out of high school uh, going to work with a uh, a plumber um, family member that had a a plumbing company to learn the trades because uh you know my we had bought a house back then and my uh, my dad was the breadwinner and i felt an obligation to uh, to, you know, take over and, and help out and pay the bills and do all that. My mom was worried about losing the house and right. who's going to pay the mortgage. And it was, it was a very big deal. I even contemplated on jumping in and driving my dad's truck because he was a truck driver uh, without really thinking a whole lot about, you know, uh, what, what I was going to do. But then, um, you know, my mom said, no, it's, it's better if you go learn a trade you know, right. and uh, instead of being a truck driver, because, you know, your dad's never home when he's driving the truck and I want you to be home for your family. Yeah. So you know, that's how I got into the trades. And it's it's been the best thing that's ha- ever happened to me because, you know, I've um, I've just been able to accomplish a lot being in the trades. And uh, it led me to write, you know, the books that I wrote and everything is based on being in the trades and, and how you know, being in the trades is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so those, that journey from kind of working with a family member through to branching out by yourself, was that relatively quick or did that take some time in the trenches, as it were, before you kind of branched out by yourself? Yeah. So I I, I had I knew I had to learn the trade early uh, regardless, because when I first started, I started 
as a helper and I was making $25 a day as a helper, uh, working with, um, the family friend who's a plumber. Um, uh, we sold the truck and had enough money to pay the mortgage for a certain amount of time. Uh, so I, I knew I only had a, a you know, a couple of years to really start making good money in the trade so I could start picking up the bills and everything. Um, and, uh, so by, I started when I was 17 by 19, um, I think actually within six months, I went from an apprentice, uh, to, I was, I was running all the calls myself. I was doing all the work myself. My, my, uh, the family friend I was working for used to leave me alone. Hey, go, here's, here's all the appointments today. Yeah, go do them and come back. And I used to do that, come back. So, um, then it got to a point where, you know, I, I just wanted to grow beyond because I had to make more money and, um, and I was just capped out by him because his, you know, his top pay was $60 a day back then or $65 a day. Yeah. So I reached that rather quickly and, uh, we had a conversation. I, I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, we could, I could help you build this. Maybe we add more trucks and, and, um, and, and all of that. And he said, no, I'm comfortable having one truck. I don't want to go beyond this. I don't want the headaches. So he told me, he said, look, your, your, your options here, are you could go work for a big company that's growing and, you know, and keep growing with them, or you could go start your own thing. You know, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what, I'll go start my own thing. So at, at 19 is when I started my uh, first plumbing wow. company. And that's such a fast turnaround from kind of coming into the industry to learning the ropes to starting to uh, excel in the in the organization that you're the, the company that you were to going out by yourself. That's a pretty fast turnaround. I think even with someone with a with a plan to have executed that quickly was uh, would have been a a fast track. But to have been thrust into it, that's. Uh, it's a quick turnaround. So from the point that yeah. you went out by yourself then, was that pretty smooth sailing after that? Or was it more of a, were there other things to it other than just doing the jobs that were a, a, a surprise? Uh, yeah, well, it was, there was always uh, something that came up. I mean, and it wasn't smooth. <laughs> it wasn't smooth sailing. So I, I quickly learned that, you know, I had to start working on getting me customers and getting me work because you know when you're first starting that's that's the biggest problem so yeah um so at at 19 when i uh when i left and started my business i mean um i was forced to do it quickly and learn the trade quickly but i really loved the the plumbing trade i was just you know after day one i completely fell in love with it so it wasn't hard to learn because it, it felt like something I wanted to continue to right. do for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, when I, when I went out on my own, first of all, you know, it was a challenge getting the licensing. You know, I remember when I applied for my California state license board exam, uh, you know, back then, you know, they had a review board review my application and I had to meet with um, some members from California state license board. Uh, that questioned me about, you know, my age and, you know, I, they said I was, I was one of the youngest licensed, you know, applicants uh, out there. So, you know, I had to, had to convince them that I was ready for it, that I had been working with my uncle for a while. Yeah. Um, oh, so it wasn't even, even just a, an automated process where there were a lot of hoops to jump through. You actually had to face to face with someone and, and convince them that you were, you were legitimate. This wasn't just some kid trying to do something that they weren't truly prepared for 
Right, right. So, I mean, I had that challenge and then the challenge of finding customers, you know, finding right. people to work for. So it was, I just took it a day at a time. I made a decision back then that I was going to work for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. Either I'm number one, I'm going to be working on somebody's plumbing or I'm going to be looking for somebody that needs plumbing work done. Um, so those are going to be my two focuses. And that's exactly what I did. So I'd wake up early and I'd go knocking on doors, passing out flyers, visiting restaurants, you know, leaving my cards and doing, sometimes I do that two, three, four days in a row without having one single service call. Right. And then all, all of a sudden I'd get a couple of calls and, and off I was, you know, uh, yeah. saving the day, fixing their plumbing. Right. And it's, I, surprising how it works the uh the grouping together of things like you said the fact that nothing will happen for a few days and then there's a a few things come through at once without that strong reliable source it's, it's such a up and down both kind of in terms of the work that you're trying to do and psychologically it kind of goes from famine to feast a little bit it's um uh, I can imagine pretty quickly you were looking for ways of kind of stabilizing that and making the, the business coming in a little bit more reliable or consistent. Yeah, and over time, that's exactly what happened, uh, Stuart. I, you know, you, you get one customer and I started getting referrals and my neighbor was an air conditioning contractor. Um, his name was Alan. Right. He lived across the street from my mom's house. So I did some networking with him. He had a lot of management company accounts. And he helped open the door and get me into a lot of relationships with his customers that, you know, and one thing led to the next. And, um, you know, I, within, within, you know, short, you know, six months, a year, I was busy every single day and I had more work than I could handle. Ah, fantastic. uh, Yeah. And it, it, it was, it was great. And I think that's the same for so many businesses, isn't it? You start out with the, with the idea and the execution of the work itself customer acquisition the marketing side of it quickly becomes uh, apparent that it's something you need to do but without a a strong plan kind of throwing things at the wall trying to see what works and and just putting the effort the grunt work into it but then a couple of things come up a couple of things start working and you start to see the path towards more customers and and then more referrals and, and more business it's i guess it's a it's a common path that a lot of people see of all of that work that you were doing then to to build new business was referrals a lot of it after the first year or so yeah i would say the toughest thing was the first year i mean um you know just it was day to day and then after that it got really busy it got really busy after that so i was uh you know, at that point, I didn't really have to go out to the marketing part of it as much. Right. Uh, I was more, you know, spending more time doing the plumbing. And I, I ended up bringing a helper in. I bought a second truck and I trained him. It was a cousin of mine. Uh, kind of had the same. His My aunt called me and said, hey, you know, your cousin doesn't like school. And, and uh, do you need a helper? I said, absolutely. I'll take him in. So, um I taught him how to do plumbing, and he he's now out there doing really well for oh, himself. So. And what a great opportunity to kind of return the favor to the universe that, uh, or the opportunity at least to the universe that that you had, kind of pay it backwards, yeah, if not pay it forwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, 
jump forward a little bit then to how our paths first crossed and the kind of thought of writing a book in the first place and then kind of look at what you're doing with it now because that's obviously changed and developed over the couple of years that that we've been doing things together so where did the thought of the uh, book come from in the first place and and i guess give everyone a bit of a backstory on on what that the early books were and and where we've gone from there yeah, so the the first book I wrote was uh, uh, creating real wealth, uh, and uh, and it was a story of mine that how plumbing was Plan B for me, right? It was right. Uh, something I fell into, and with most people I deal with, you know, today we have you know a couple hundred plumbers working in our company, and I, I interact with them a lot. I talk to them, and most of them have fallen into plumbing through hardship you know, because they started either laboring or doing something and they eventually learned the trade of plumbing, but they all are really prideful about what they do. And it kind of happened to be the same thing for me because I fell into plumbing through hardship uh, because I, I had to do something and my mom wanted me to le- learn one of the trades. And and luckily we had, a you know, somebody in the family that knew plumbing. But the first book was about getting people in the trades because today, we have more people retiring and getting out of the trades than people going into the trades. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems is that people, you know, go out there and especially a lot of, uh, you know, young adults, they go into, they go into uh, uh, schools and they get school debt and they come out and that's not really what they want to do. And, yeah. uh, and, and like me, plumbing was plan B. A lot of people look at it like, Hey, this isn't, you know, we'll we'll only get into it if if we fall into it, but it was to let everybody know that this is a great career path. That if you choose to go into the trades, that you're going to be wanted. The demand's going to be there because our infrastructure, you know, everything is getting older, and there's not enough tradespeople to fix it. Right. Like you said, particularly with the. I was just going to say, with the population increasing, the demand increasing, but then people retiring out of the trades and they're not really being, um, in the UK, it's very similar. Trade schools and, and the apprentice approaches were shut down 20 years ago. Um, for the for the majority, the kind of technical schools that were around, far fewer now than there were 20 years ago, because now everyone's following a, an academic route into kind of service or financial type industries so there's a there's a huge demand coupled with a dwindling supply of people yeah and that's exactly what's going on in the u.s as well and you know it's it's an issue so we you know we have a um, in our company now we have a apprentice program we have a program where we teach people uh that come into the trades and we we have our own school we call it hero university and it was to attract people towards that, to let people know that, hey, this is a very good career path. Um, we have um, young adults coming in within six months. They're they're starting to make, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, seventy thousand a year. Within a year, they're making a six-digit income. Um, so Fantastic. it's it's something that's real, and you don't have to incur a lot of school debt uh, in right. order for that to happen. In fact, we'll 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 pay you while you're going through training. Right, and that's such a opportunity for people where their academic route isn't isn't a preference. 
I mean, even for those who pick the trade because they want to be in the trade, it's it's a great route and a great career. But the opportunity for the opportunity for people who wouldn't necessarily or hadn't previously necessarily thought about it as a as a first option to to know that there is a, a relatively stable path from not knowing anything through an uh, through a apprenticeship program where they're going to get their handheld and guided towards being successful at the end of it there's an income while they're going through and then at the end of it, there's a career which is going to be more beneficial to them than than a lot of other careers out there. It's always a surprise when I'm talking to people in trades, and it's actually a surprise. I talk about um, financial planners quite a lot. That's what a group of people that spring to mind as I'm using examples for the books. But it's surprising how many trade-based books we've got. And I guess even my response to thinking about financial planners more than the, the trades is indicative of the schooling out there where it's just not something that's front of people's minds they just don't think about that as an opportunity but it's the perfect fit for so many people yeah yeah exactly and and, and some of it through budget cuts because when i was going to high school we had uh, auto mechanics uh, class and we also had a woodworks class uh, so people were encouraged to you know get into mechanics and and uh and do things uh, of that nature, like woodwork or whatever else. But because of budget cuts, I think those came out of the high schools, and I think it uh, created the dilemma. I think that's where it yeah. started. And then over time, I think it's it reinforces itself. As soon as those first cuts are made, then the next group of people going through the system who weren't around when it was an option in the first place never even think about it. It's not something that people are asking for. The um, just the awareness of it in general just r- removes itself by virtue of the fact that no one remembers what happens a few years ago. And as I can imagine, it's the case that uh, it doesn't take long for that just to fall out of um, fall out of something that people are thinking about day by day. So the apprentice program that you've got is that something that's uh, typically oversubscribed. Um, popular within the local area because i know you've got the a big organization with i imagine the the turnover that you've got is with so many people is um is not insignificant so does the apprentice program is that oversubscribed and that leads to a lot of the staff that you then take up at the end so yeah the the way it's kind of changed and evolved over time the apprentice program so uh initially we we were hiring people uh, that wanted to get in the program, and we put them directly into the school. And it's a hands-on. So what we do is we have 50% of the time they spend uh, working on mock-up plumbing, which is hands-on uh, garbage disposals, faucets, uh, other things that you know they get their hands on and they could take yeah. apart and put together. Uh, then the other, you know, 30% is spent in classroom-style. Uh, theory-looking videos, uh, concepts, code, and and then they spend 20% of their time actually in the field working with another plumber, seeing right. him do the work, you know, getting to know the tools and and interacting with the real plumbing system because the mock-up is really not exactly the way it works when you actually right. go out in the field. So initially, we were try- hiring people and putting them right into the school uh, but we found out that we were getting a lot of turnover because people would get into it and 
um, you know, the concept was good. They wanted to get into it. And after we trained them, they'd go out in the field and they didn't like it. Uh, so what we did is we switched it around a little bit. Now we hire them. We put them out in the field for, uh, you know, about 30 days, maybe, maybe a month and a half. Uh, and they work with another plumber as a, as a helper. And then after that, you know, if they like what they've seen, then we put them through the school. Uh, oh, because, yeah. yeah, that's a super interesting and that real world feedback from looking at where the pinch points were, where the challenges were, because I can imagine the clean classroom environment is one thing, but the slightly untidy real world is quite a different, uh, quite a different day to day experience. So the fact that you've swapped it around so they get that real world experience first, if anything, that's going to be the big deterrent. And if they make it through, then okay, now we're moving forward. It's almost like a, a filtering process um, for the people who are not likely to continue after the fact. Did that take a long time to uh, to realize or was it pretty apparent from the start? Well, it, it we had to stop and analyze the results because it, it did take us, we went through two classes of people uh, before we realized that our turnover was too high right. with the students and that we had to do something different. And when we started asking and analyzing and, uh, you know, peeling the onion backwards, we, we figured out that the biggest problem was that the people didn't really realize what they were up against once they went out in the field. So once they were yeah. out in the field, yeah. then they saw how, how difficult it was because, you know, some of it's pretty labor intensive. Yeah. Um, and they, they really had to get the feel for that. They had to crawl under houses. They had to get dirty. They had, they, they, they have to, you know, come across some, some really bad plumbing situations and see if their stomach could handle, right. uh, could handle it, you know, before they actually got into it because some people just said, Hey, I, I just, I don't like it. You know, I thought yeah. I would, but I just don't like it. And that was the issue. But now yeah. that they went through it, and if they if they don't make it through that month and a half of uh you know ride along then we don't put them through the class because if they don't make it through the month and a half of ride along then most likely they they're not going to make it after we put them through the class yeah. and we don't want to invest money and time into teaching them if they're not going to use the trade exactly because that's the the realities of the job aren't going to change magically just because you've now got more skills it's uh, you're still in the situation where you're trying to fix the same problems in the same conditions it's such a great uh, insight the the book the first book the secrets to real wealth how far down the process did that come into play was that something that you'd thought of as a lead generator for that part of the business for a while or is it something that um, was very quickly kind of sparked as an idea and then was executed on so yeah when you know, we, we thought about, I, I, I was thinking about how to, um, you know, share the story, the, the story of how I got into plumbing and, you know, just share some of the statistics uh, about the problem going on with the trades. And, um, and that kind of happened pretty quickly. I mean, when I was thinking about it, I always wanted to write a book. And uh, when I saw the problem, I said, hey, this is a great solution because, you know, we can actually distribute this out to uh, junior colleges. We could go straight to high schools, in fact, and, right. you know, get, and it's a short book. It's got 
very short chapters, and it's something that gets right into talking about the problem and what the solutions are. Um, so it really helped us um, just create the awareness of the problem and see if there's people interested in wanting to come into the trades of plumbing. So exactly. yeah, it happened pretty quickly. And exactly, you said it does the job of making those invisible prospects visible, um, a term that we use a lot here. It's of all of the population of all of the high schools in all of the local areas or all of the junior colleges without something like this or something serving that purpose of, okay, who's broadly interested? That's just a single group of people. At least now you've got the opportunity of identifying those people who are broadly interested and then continuing the conversation specifically with them rather than kind of just having to shout out into the wilderness all the time and ask who's interested, who's interested, who's interested. Is it something that you're still using today or have you moved on from that now to to look at other ways of engaging people? Uh, no, we're still using that uh, actively today. We use it to uh, send out to possible prospects if they're thinking about getting in the trades. Uh, we use it when we're doing... Um, uh, whenever we're doing uh, any kind of uh, job uh, fairs and uh, things like that, we'll take the book out there, we'll pass it out. And it's something that we continuously use in order to, you know, find prospects that want to get into the plumbing industry. Have you thought that anyone else is, uh, have your competitors seen the idea and tried to copy it yet? Or are you still pretty much the only ones that are taking that approach? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of trade books and there's a lot of people promoting people going into the trades, which is all good. And to copy it, I mean, the, the book has some unique stories in there and experiences, and that's really hard to copy. But right. I think anybody that's trying to solve the problem is doing good for the industry. So um, anybody that's in the trades and is looking at this as a p possible opportunity to get people in the trades is actually working on and helping solve the problem because you know it is getting to a point where you know more and more people are 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 needed and we don't have enough people that are just shining the light on that problem and that's such an interesting way of looking at it as well it, it's, uh, it's kind of looking at the bigger picture it's not just that you're trying to solve the problem for yourselves it really is an industry-wide issue that you're trying to address not um in a kind of altruistic type way. It's not just you're trying to feather your own nest or look after your own, solve your own problem. It's really trying to do something to raise awareness across the board. The yeah. opportunity to um, kind of an industry level, is there anything, um, do any of the industry bodies take on this challenge of, of trying to find talent to come into the field or are the industry bodies a little bit more focused on the licensing side of things and more of the um the, the rules and regulations rather than kind of the the making sure that there are enough people to do the job well i think one of the biggest challenges we have today is finding enough people um you know unemployment rate is very it's down to its lowest it's ever been as we're talking right now uh, that alone makes it challenging. Um, and when you add the trade aspect to it, it makes it even more challenging than that. And right. there's just, it's it's the biggest challenge in our industry right now is finding qualified people. Yeah. 
Yeah, and as you say, it's a uh, all of the comments that we made before about the demographics and the changing desires of people, what they want out of work. Um, it, it's just a problem that gets increasingly more difficult. Um, so how then? Uh, so we move on from the the first book to the next one. Was the um, I guess give people a little bit of background on on the next one and then uh, where the idea from that came from and how that fits into your bigger picture. So one of uh, one of my goals, I've, I've I've had this goal from when I was uh, a big follower of Zig Ziglar, and one time he said this quote when I was listening to one of his talks. He said, "If you help enough people achieve their goal, you will achieve yours." And it's always been a goal of mine to help people create wealth uh, through this trade of plumbing. Uh, so the second book uh, I wrote is called uh, "Creating 99 Millionaires." And in our company, we've we've got a position which is a very unique position uh, called a channel leader, uh, and we and it's a experienced plumber that is a really good communicator that runs a team of uh, of plumbers, maybe anywhere from four to six plumbers that work uh, work with them in correlation in the field. And it's more of a sales role, you know, it's more of a uh, how to go to customers' homes and, you know, how to diagnose the more complicated issues and how to give them long-term solutions. And we have luckily have had quite a few people in this role who've become millionaires uh, because they made really good money. And it was one of my goals, and it still is one of my goals to create a hundred of these millionaires, you know, guys that are really good at their trade. They're at the elite level where yeah. they're doing so well uh, that, you know, they're making good money. Uh, they're smart with their money. They're investing their money. They're putting it away uh, because, because, you know, in this, in this, in this environment, in the trades, not everybody is teaching people about money. They're not teaching them that, a lot of them teach them about how to make money, but they won't teach them uh, the lessons about how to grow money or how to invest money right. and how to do this. And it's it's been my personal mission to do that. And that's what the book does. It goes into talking about a story uh, and we start with the end in mind and we start the book off with having a meeting with 99 millionaires. And, uh, and these are all unique individuals uh, that are channel leaders that are that are working in correlation with the company goals and and creating value for themselves and their family and how this waiter that's in this meeting that's that's listening in and and wants a little piece of this you know and wants right. to know hey what is what is this thing that they're talking about and yeah. uh, and then and then we we go into talking about the benefits of this and and this is more to attract more experienced plumbers. So, so the first book we wrote was to ex to attract people into the trades at the beginner level. And this book was more designed to attract people who have experience in the plumbing industry that are having a hard time finding um, a way for them to use their knowledge and skill uh, to to create um, wealth for their themselves and their family. And is that quite a um, the amount of people that move from company to company and the 
people out there in the industry, working in the industry, are they looking for this type of answer as well? It's something that kind of that known knowns and unknown unknowns type thing. Is this something that resonates with them because they're it is something they're actively looking for or is it more of a education piece to kind of present the opportunity with them say hey you're doing all of this work you're getting all this money if you add these extra elements to it it could be so much more beneficial it's both it's both it talks about um it talks about both aspects it's an educational piece uh about how to how wealth is created it doesn't go into any deep concepts but it talks about you know how you have to get better how you could make more money by becoming better and focusing on becoming a uh, really good at your trade your communication and then it also goes into the concept about living below your means uh how to save your money how not to waste it uh and how to invest your money and how compound interest works and how um you know how that will actually help it uh, multiply uh, so it, it goes into both. It talks about uh, a little bit about the trades, but it also talks about money. And the people who read that, who, who receive a copy of it, where are they? Where are they coming across it? How are you getting the book out in front of them? So right now we've been doing a lot of PR. We've been um, I've, I've been on many podcasts that are trade specific. And, uh, and, and when the book, when people finish the book, they go to the back and we send them a copy. We'll send them a audio book or we'll send them a uh, free book if they go in there and, uh, and fill out a little bit of information. So we've been promoting it just through our regular PR channels, talking about it on podcasts, uh, putting it out there in trades, uh, sometimes putting it out there at um, at job fairs. Yeah. That is always interesting how uh, how niche podcasts have become these days. You kind of think about the the amount of time that podcasts were around and and weren't getting that much traction outside of tech circles, I guess. But nowadays it really is one of the primary mediums of getting in front of people, particularly getting in front of people who are engaged and kind of passionate about the subject because it might not be because it's still a little bit of work to get subscribed to a podcast feed. It's not quite as easy as just flipping on the TV. But the audience that those podcasts have are really the ones who are the most passionate and and um, consuming as much information as they get. So to think that there are trade-based podcasts out there as well, which when you think about it is obvious, but it really shows a development of the of the channel. It, it's um, now it's really getting to those niches there, the, the next level down, and really helping the those audiences that are desperate for the information. Do you find that there are many um, the podcasts that you're talking about are they trade based ones in the way that I'm anticipating they are where they're talking to other plumbers about uh, building a better business or doing a better job? Yeah, I you know it's it's been uh, we've we've gotten some response from both. You know, we've been on some trade specific ones and some that were more general. And it's it's just a matter of getting the content out there because what. What's happened is, you know, I, I had one person that actually uh, had their their son that was just getting into the trades listen to the podcast because the dad heard it uh, through a non 
trait specific podcast that we're on. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. Called, yeah. Was, and uh, so it's just a matter of getting out there and then people hear it, they get inspired by it, they hear the talk and then they'll, they'll know somebody and they'll refer somebody or they'll go, Hey, you got to hear this. Or in, in some cases, you know, we've had people fill out, go to the website and get a free book and then send it to a friend to go, right. Hey, I saw this and I thought you would be interested in it. You know, it's, it's surprising how the um, how thin threads connect people together over over time. It's almost uh, if you don't believe in destiny, it's it's almost a uh, an indicator that there's there's a a bigger plan out there. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're just putting the word out there, and the universe is uh, spreading it. You know, so right. I think it's just making sure you get it out there, and you you talk about what you're passionate about, and people that want to get into it will will eventually get their hands on it yeah which ties in with what we talk about in the books quite a lot is that you don't know where it will lead to the the show that just went out last weekend as we're recording this with um, bill bloom who is a financial planner his first book was the yachter's guide to early retirement because he was a financial planner and as a sailor so had a lot of clients and connections and enjoyed being in that space but that from a, a relatively thin thread led to a booth at a at the chicago boat show and from the booth the following year they'd asked him to speak at the event so it, all of as he was describing it they were all pretty thin threads it wasn't a big orchestrated plan that he had going into it but it was very a series of very small steps that led now to pretty regular speaking engagements in front of the audience that he's he's really trying to he, he can do the best work with and that seems very similar with yourself although a, a different route but still creating assets creating things that get out in front of people through as many channels as possible because you don't know which one's going to resonate with which group of people at which time and it's only by getting things out there that you've got the 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 opportunity that that could even happen so of all of the work that you've done the first two that we're talking about here of all of the work that you've done are there any of them that have been um surprising you've maybe put a book into an environment that you didn't necessarily think was going to take off but then really resonated with the group well i i did get a lot of uh a lot of good response off of the second book we wrote creating 99 millionaires it was uh i have a lot of friends in the trade and i i heard you know a lot of people tell me how inspiring it was and uh and it it even inspired others to write books as well, uh, which is great right. because, yeah. you know, we're getting the message out there that being in the trades is a, is a good place to be. I mean, it's not, it's not a bad place to be. Um, yeah. And it doesn't have to be plan B. It could always, it could be right. plan A. Yeah. Yeah. And a very profitable plan A. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you started to mention the follow. I think I cut you off. But you started to mention up the follow-up after people opt into the to the second book, and there's the um, opportunity to send them the physical copy. But I guess on on both of them, and then, then we'll talk about the other books in a minute. But on both of them, is there a a funnel that people fo follow through once they've opted in? Is the kind of an orchestrated path that they follow afterwards? Or are you trying to capture people more in the moment and don't so much focus on the follow-up? 
Uh, we do we do follow up whenever people go in there and request a book. They give us information, and and we have a uh, full time recruiter here, uh, Melissa, who's really good. She follows up uh, behind anybody that's requested a book. We have our marketing director Greg that does a lot of follow up as well. Uh, so yeah, we do we do follow up to see how they liked it and and what it is, and and I'm very accessible as well. I mean, I have my cell phone number behind every business card. I've, you know, we have my email addresses on the website. So there's just a lot of ways to get a hold of me. Right. Um, so sometimes I'll even, you know, get people that'll just directly respond to me. And, uh, and you know, we, we have an open door here, so. Yeah. And that accessibility to real people, I think, is quite a game changer. So many times we're, I mean, even with the people that we talk to, people are looking for ways of automating the follow-up process so that they don't have to get involved so that as much as possible. It can be um, a machine that spits out customers at the end. But I think the opportunity that gets lost there, whilst there is a scale benefit to it the opportunity that's lost is that personal connection i guess for you guys when you're really dealing with it's not like you're trying to sell a product or a service that is just delivered and and then it's just a, a customer product relationship you're trying to build a relationship with people that you want to bring on as part of the team so i imagine that personal connection with melissa and yourself and the rest of the team members makes a difference as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really get frustrated when I'm going through and, uh, and all you get is a, uh, is, is a computer or, or a voicemail or something else, you know, and it's just, you know, I don't, we want, we want the experience to be really good. So we try to make ourselves very accessible. Yeah. Is that a feedback that you get? Uh, is that a common thing that you hear back from the people that you're dealing with that and the organization as a whole, that personal connection? really resonates with them yeah i mean even when we do the or we do some radio advertising i you know i i announce to every customer that my personal business uh my personal cell phone number is behind every business card so i'm i'm right. so confident that you'll be happy with our service that you know i put my number behind and some people just you know they're just amazed that you know, I would make such a demand and I'd, I'd actually put my number behind the card. Some people will right. even just call to go. I was just trying to see if this just was to real. See. Right. You know, because <laughs> every every yeah. uh, CEO or every, uh, you know, upper level manager is trying to hide behind their people and, and you're yeah. out there accessible in front of everybody. And I said, you know, I'm, I, yeah, it, it's done two things. Number one, uh, I, I'm not as busy as most people think, so I, I can't handle you know, some calls from customers if, if that ever happens. And number two, it's actually my people know that my cell phone number is behind in every business card. Uh, so I think in one sense, you know, they, they make it a, um, you know, they make it a purpose to make sure that people are taken care of really well. Because right. if somebody does call me, they want them to call me and say how great they were, right? Right, not to so, report any issues, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's created some personal accountability in one sense, and and we have a lot of great people here, and uh, I get to come to work and work with so many uh, super individuals uh, that inspire me, that have great stories of their own. So uh, I really love what I do, and I love what I do with the people I do it right. with, and I think it just creates a really good 
positive experience for our customers. And people often say that that uh, sense of culture is driven all the way through the organization. So the authenticity that you've got to back up the promises with that personal connection and phone number, I can only imagine how much that trickles down through the rest of the organization to really give that sense of pride and putting your own name on a job that um, that is perhaps lacking in other organizations, maybe even more so where they know that as much as possible, everyone's trying to hide behind the automation and the, uh, and the um, other tiers of people that, that get in the way to prevent it. So I can really imagine that um, as a company culture flows through. The third book that um, the third book, then um, let's give a bit of background on what that is and then how that fits in the mix with the other two. So the third book we wrote is uh, Values First, and uh, that's that's our values. So our values and our company are really important to us and uh, we have it front and center. We read the values before every meeting. We talk about stories about when we live the value. And uh, it's interesting because we start uh, the first book with, uh, or the third book, we start out with, you know, one of my um, um, friends here at the company that helped me uh, put some of the stories together in the book. And 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 he said, John, why do you want to write this book? And uh, try to convince me not to write it. He said, you know, it's going to create a lot of accountability. And why do you want to write this book? I said, you know what? I, I really thought about it for a while. And I said, I want to write this book because I want to be held accountable to the values of this company because I want to live the values of this company. And I want to tell everybody what they are. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to do my darndest to get out there and live it and exemplify it to the customers and the people of this company. And that's the reason I wrote it is because I wanted to be the one that first and foremost followed the values and also wanted to explain what our values are to our customers, to our employees, to the general public, uh, because I believe that, you know, they are living in our company and it's something that we want, we want to share with people because we believe it's going to better their lives. It bettered my life, you know, and I know it'll better everybody else's lives as well. And that as a, um, so many times people talk about the reason for writing something, having a very specific return on investment or as a very specific part of a funnel, but both yourself with the values book, the people that we've written, uh, they're almost more stories or journey type books. There's a different level of of passion that comes through a project when it's something that means so much. It's kind of that heartfelt content rather than headfelt content. It's really sharing something to to share the message rather than sharing something to encourage someone to take the next step. There's benefits on both sides, obviously, but just to be able to capture the words and capture the passion that you've got for what you've done into something that can be shared with no um, no direct or immediate, uh, I don't want to say no direct or immediate benefit because there is a direct and immediate benefit that comes from it, but that's not the intention. The intention is to share the story and, and, the, um, and the message and the passion that's behind it. 
How have you been, given that that's a slightly different um, using it in a slightly different context or it's a slightly different purpose, how have you been using it and how does it fit into the organization as a whole? So our, our plan with uh, the third book, Values First, is to send it to our customers. So it's going to be a book that uh, we're going to either ship or mail or hand out with every service call we do, uh, just so our customers could understand what our organization's values are, and uh, and uh, and hopefully, you know, read the book if they take the time to do it or pass it on to somebody else, uh, because you know we built, that book is just ultimately designed to let people know uh, that you know this is what we're about, you know, this right. is our mission. You'd mentioned as you were describing it, the kind of um, slightly scary accountability that it that it also brings with it. Um, any point was there a, a a second thought of once it had been created and it's there in front of you? Was there anything that you thought might um, not so much lead to problems, but anything that kind of took away from the very strong positive feeling of getting getting it done? Was there anything scary about it? N- not really. I mean, I, I think, you know, sharing the values with people just attracts like-minded people to the organization. Yeah. And, and I, I believe, uh, look, we don't, we, when we bring up, when we're doing interviews and we put it on our website, our values are everywhere. We talk about it before every meeting, we read the values and, uh, and we, you know, we share it a lot and it's just something that happens continuously here. And we want our customers to know that we're a values-based organization, that, right. you know, this, these are the rules that we're going to live by, and this is how their experience with our company is going to become so much better because we're living through these values. And, and we're, not, we're not shy about it, so we, we just want the word right. to go out. And it's inspiring. I mean, like the the previous point about making the the phone number available and having that accountability and confidence in what you're doing to be able to do that i think presenting the values is part and parcel of the same the same mindset you even in just talking today and i'm sure as people are listening that comes across so strongly that it's a something that you're very, very passionate about very confident about that the whole team that surrounds you is thinking in the same way. There's the nature of the business and the way you've got things set up brings together like-minded people that it really is just a extension of that. And the opportunity to share it just reinforces all those messages with the, with the customers. I imagine it's going to be something that's going to be very well received and makes them feel part of the family even more so than just the, the interaction with the guys. Yes, absolutely. That's how we feel. Yeah. Um, so how, I'm always surprised, I think on every podcast interview that I've done that isn't just Betsy and I talking, um, I kind of get 45, 50 minutes in and then and then realize how fast the time's gone. Um, yeah. in, the, in the bigger picture, you've got the, the three books that are working together at the three different stages. Is there a... Um, is there something that's next in, in the pipeline or now that you've got these kind of three key pillars Bill, are you looking at utilizing those more um, rather than going on to the next one and the next one? What's the what's the plan as far as the books go in the next six to twelve months? 
I, I have no plans for any other books, but you never know. I mean, I, I, I might be inspired to write about something, and if that happens, then uh, you know we'll take it uh, day by day. But you know, right now, uh, I think I've, I've covered a, a few different areas that I really wanted to share with people, and yeah. uh, and I, I've done it through the three books, and um, you know, I, I really appreciate the help with Ninety Minute Books for helping me put all this together because they made the approach so simple uh they've made it so easy to you know take all of this information out of somebody's mind and and put it in a concept (laughs) that'll turn into a book you know and and enjoyable to read so i think and that's the as we're as i'm talking to people as betsy's talking to people as dean's talking to people that idea of there's so much fantastic knowledge in people's heads and there's so much passion around what they're doing and the ability to have these as the beginnings of of great conversations with people just to be able to help people capture that and get it down there and and get using and get it in front of people it really is um every time we finish another book and then talk to people afterwards about how they're using it it's it really makes the whole process worthwhile because just as with you the passion that those conversations come through with the kind of the difference that people are able to make i mean it really makes the whole thing worthwhile it's uh, it's good to be able to help people get that out there um so with no um and well, and the other point as well is that just as you are experiencing with the people that resonate with the books and come to um, work more closely with your team as as um, members of the team or as customers, it's the same the same here. I mean, we get uh, the people that we deal with are very much on the same page because we're always coming from the same place, and it uh, just makes the whole experience go go well. Um, so with the the three. Um, the, the three pillars that you've got, the three books that you've got in place. Is there anything over the next couple of months where you're, you've identified an opportunity to use it in a different way, or is it going to be more of the same uh, and just really building up on the on the great foundations that you've got already? Yeah. So the books we have is on Amazon. If anybody wants to go purchase it, we we're usually the biggest. Uh, uh, consumers of our own books, so we we actually buy it and we distribute it to people just to get uh, the word out there. Uh, but uh, our our plan is to get on more podcasts like like your Stuart and and other ones and and share the story, share the books, and and hope one day it'll change somebody's life. Fantastic. Well, that's a great point to wrap up and make sure before we do that we can point people in the right direction so i'll put links to the books on amazon in the show notes so um head over to 90minutebooks.com forward slash podcast and look for the interview here with john um the email that we send out obviously that'll be directly linked to it but as people are listening is there um where's the best place for them to follow along with what you guys are doing or or learn more so if you if they go to our website rooterhero.com that's r o o t e r h e r o.com and for, forward slash 99 millionaires will uh, take you to uh the second book we wrote and uh just forward slash the book's name will take you directly to a site where you can actually request a copy of the book and uh just give us a little bit of your information and we'd be happy to send you uh, either an ebook or an audio file or also the actual book, whatever you request. 
Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes as well, so people can can get straight across there. Uh, Don, just want to say thanks again for your time today. It's uh, always such a pleasure talking to people who are passionate about their subjects. Your passion definitely comes out. It's uh, exciting to see what you've done with the book so far and really looking forward to checking in in the future and seeing how that's improving. Thank you. I appreciate your time, Stuart. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We will catch you in the next one. And there we have it. What a fantastic episode. As I said at the start, it's such a a great opportunity to speak with someone whose passion really comes through. And the fact that he wants to make such a difference and they are making such a difference at an industry level, not just a company level, it's um, it's really something that makes a difference and is a great example of how a book is not only a great lead generation tool, but also a great way of presenting your values out to either people that you want to work with, customers you want to deal with, or the industry as a whole. So if you want to continue the journey, a couple of options. If you want to be a guest on the show, it would be great to have a conversation about your book or your book idea, then head over to 90minutebooks.com forward slash guest. If you haven't yet, then head over to bookblueprintschool.com and complete your own scorecard to look through your book idea against the eight book blueprint mindsets that we've got. Um, John's example is a really great example because we talk a lot about lead generation and how you can engage and identify potential customers. But scoring John's book against the, the mindsets, it scores highly even though the outcome is different because there's still a clear message there's still a clear framework and a way of guiding people through the information that's delivered in the content is valuable and then there are there are clear steps and calls to actions and and a reason for the book being created in the first place so no matter what your book idea is then filter it through or assess it against the eight mindsets the book blueprint mindsets and it will give you a great uh, indication of where you can amplify that message even more so thanks again for listening everyone and we will catch you in the next one